Good morning, everybody. This week we come to our final study in the book of Revelation, looking at Revelation chapter 22, verses 14 to 21. We will study a blessing and a curse, the ultimate invitation, and we will discover a very strong warning against adding or taking away from God's words. So, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and the privilege it has been to go through the book of Revelation. Please teach us by your spirit, lead us into all truth, and give us understanding of spiritual things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's start by reading Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 to 21. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So, we'll start in verse 14, and here we find the blessing and a curse. So, Revelation 22, verses 14 to 15 says, Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they might have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, it's hard to say who's speaking here. It could be John, or the angel, or Jesus, but that's okay. It doesn't really matter. The words are still true. In verse 14 it says, Blessed are those who do his commandments. So as we learned last week, we don't earn salvation and eternal life by keeping the Ten Commandments. But it is evidence that we have been granted eternal life. Notice it says here, Blessed are those who do his commandments. It does not say, Saved are those who do his commandments. Okay, now blessed means happy. So it's important to understand that this is not saying you're saved by doing his commandments, but you are happy if you do his commandments. And that's what Jesus said in the Gospels too. And last week we read a quote from John Corson that summarizes the relationship between faith and works that we read about in James chapter 2, verses 14 to 26. And he said, It is not faith and works that saves a man. It is not faith or works. It is faith that works. Works are the fruit of salvation, the result of our being transformed into the image of Christ. Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and the fact that we have been given a new nature. 
And the verse to demonstrate this or illustrate this is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And besides this, there is an inherent blessing in doing his commands because they are good and right for us. Basically, here's why we're happy if we do them, right? So here's an example. If you steal, you will feel guilty and will be punished if you are caught. But if you give, then you will experience both the joy of giving and the sweetness of abiding in Christ. And you will have eternal reward waiting for you. Jesus speaks in the Gospel of John of the blessing of walking in obedience and abiding in Christ. And I mentioned this before, but I'm going to read the verses now. John 15, verses 7 to 11. It says, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. So what did Jesus say about how he maintained his relationship with the Father and kept himself in the love of the Father? Well, he obeyed the Father and abided in his love. So again, for someone who is already saved, the blessing of keeping the commandments, of abiding in the love of God, with our motive being love for God and thankfulness to God for all he has done for us, is joy. It's fullness of joy. And again, looking at verse 14, and blessed are those who do his commandments, this is actually a beatitude. And in Matthew we have the beatitudes, but in Revelation, if you didn't realize, we actually have seven beatitudes in the book of Revelation. So here in verse 14 in chapter 22 of Revelation, we have the seventh and final beatitude in Revelation. So remember that blessed means happy. So I thought it'd be really good to go through the seven beatitudes of Revelation, and they help us to summarize a lot of what we've learned so far as we've been going through the book. So the first beatitude in Revelation is Revelation chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Notice here again we are exhorted that to be happy, we need to not just listen, but to hear and to do what God says in the book of Revelation. This is consistent throughout the whole Bible. It's the doers that will be blessed, not just the hearers. Now this is the second beatitude, Revelation 14.13. Then I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, Right, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Now what's the context for this? Well, the context here is that the Antichrist has implemented the mark of the beast and is actively searching for believers with the goal of eliminating them. His mission is to eliminate believers. And you find that in Revelation chapter 13, verses 6 and 15. The earth during the tribulation will not be a happy place for the tribulation saints. They will be much better off in heaven in the direct presence of God. The third beatitude in the book of Revelation is Revelation 16.15. It says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So here we are told that we will be happy if we are watching for Jesus coming and staying pure 
so that when he comes we will not be ashamed. And we touched on that quite a bit last week. In Revelation 19 verse 9, the fourth beatitude in the book of Revelation, it says, Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those, happy are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true sayings of God. So here we come to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And truly, the marriage supper of the Lamb, which will happen at the start of the thousand-year millennium reign of Jesus Christ, and you'll read that in Isaiah 25 verse 6, will most certainly be a happy, a very happy occasion. And it's definitely something we should all be looking forward to. The fifth beatitude in Revelation is Revelation chapter 20 verse 6. And here it reminds us of the first and second resurrections. And it says, Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. So, happy is the one who is born again, and therefore is a part of the first resurrection. Jesus called this first resurrection the resurrection of life. In John 5:28-29, it is reserved for those who have their names written in the book of life and the Lamb's book of life. Now remember that if you are not a part of the first resurrection, which as we learned about previously happens over a period of time, it started with Jesus and it continues with the rapture and the tribulation saints, etc., The only alternative is the second resurrection, which happens at the very end. It happens at the end of the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ, in Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, and is reserved for those who do not have their names in both the Book of Life and the Lamb's Book of Life. In other words, they are not born again. They never chose to ask God to forgive them of their sins and repent of their sins before they died. Now the sixth Beatitude in the book of Revelation is Revelation 22 verse 7. It says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed or happy is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And this is very similar to the seventh and final Beatitude that we're at now in verse 14 of chapter 22, which says, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to eat the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. So, This is probably the biggest understatement in world history that blessed are those who do his commandments that they might have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. (laughs) This is the new Jerusalem. This is everything we're putting our hopes in. We've learned about this over the last couple of weeks and the verse that summarizes this awesome anticipation this hope is 1st Corinthians chapter 2 verse 9 but as it is written I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him so now we come to verse 15 where it says but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers now this sounds a bit confusing You might be thinking that by this time, all the unbelievers are in the lake of fire. I mean, the great white throne judgment has already passed. Well, they are. All the unbelievers have been judged. They are in the lake of fire. And there's quite a few more scriptures which show that all the murderers and all the other people have been removed And there is no more curse, there is no more death, there's no evil in this new world. So what is it saying here then? Well, it's just another way of saying that there will not be any sinners or unbelievers in heaven. And that to be allowed into heaven, we must, or the new Jerusalem and the new earth, we must have been made morally pure and right with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ 
as a propitiation or payment for our sins. Now, dogs. What does it mean by dogs? Well, it's not literally dogs. Dogs in that culture were considered scavengers and were treated with contempt. So they didn't have pet dogs back then. And there's a couple of verses that show the people's attitude towards dogs back then in that culture, the Jewish culture around Jesus' time. So Matthew 7, 6 says, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine or pigs, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And Philippians 3, 2, Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. So dogs here are used to describe legalists. So basically dogs are a very derogatory term. Now, as far as being outside the New Jerusalem, the heavenly city, David Guzik says, as an explanation, we shouldn't think that outside the walls of heaven multitudes will throng longing to get in. And another commentator, Mount, says, the verse does not intend to teach that in the eternal state all manner of wicked men might be living just outside the heavenly city. It simply describes the future with the imagery of the present. So, what's it trying to say? It's saying that there will be a separation. And the Great White Throne Judgment is that separation. It's the final separation of the evil going into the lake of fire and those who have been born again into the new heavens and the new earth. Now, in verse 15, it says sorcerers, that is pharmakia, drug takers, people who take drugs, and they're sexually immoral and murderers. And so, just like in previous descriptions of the unsaved, the issue is not that they have at some time committed sins like this, but that they have never repented. These words are in the present tense. These sins, these drug taking, the sexually immoral, the murderers, that's the characteristic of their people, of the lives of these people. It means they never repented, they never changed. They are still enemies of God. Now, we move on to verse 16. And it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. So Jesus here leaves no doubt about the supernatural origin of the book of Revelation. This message and these words originated from Jesus. And this is all the more reason to hear and obey. There is no more powerful way to authenticate a book of the Bible than for God himself to declare that he is the source or origin of the message, of the words of this book. In verse 16 it also says, To testify to you these things in the churches. So who is the book of Revelation written to? It's written to the churches. It's important to understand that the book of Revelation is not just for those who have gone to Bible college. It is for all believers. All believers in the church age will be blessed if they hear and do the words of this book. Uh, you find that in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. It's also worth noting that this is the first reference to the church since the letters to the seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And again, this takes us back to Revelation 22.10. And he said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. So, notice that the church is not mentioned in or through chapters 6 through 19, because that's talking about the tribulation. But the church needs to know about the tribulation, so they can be warned about it, and they can escape it. And for those who do go into the tribulation, they are the ones who are in the church age and need to know what's going to happen 
and know that they have a second chance. The ones who were not saved when the rapture happened. So, this brings me to consider one of the parables of Jesus. It's the parable of the ten virgins. So why am I reading this? Well, verse 16 says, To testify to you these things in the churches. God wants us to be ready. He wants us to be living in anticipation, having our vessels filled with oil. Now remember that anyone who is saved has a Holy Spirit in them. If you do not have the Holy Spirit in you, then you are not saved. So with that in mind, let's read the parable of the ten virgins in Matthew 25, 1-13. And this links in very nicely to this section of Scripture and Revelation. It says, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise, and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Remember the Jewish wedding tradition? When the groom came back for the bride, it could happen at any time once the house was ready, or the room when the house was ready. And they would go back, and they would be in isolation for seven days. And at the end of that seven days, they'd come out and have the wedding feast. So we will be with Jesus for our seven years as part of the wedding tradition. We've covered this previously. Now, what is the main point of the parable of the ten virgins? Well, if you are not saved, if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, if there's no oil in your vessel, then you will not go up at the rapture. You will be left behind and will have to endure the horrors of the seven-year tribulation described in chapter 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. So therefore, be ready and waiting so you won't be left behind when Jesus says, Come up here and we meet him in the air. Now, verse 16, it says, The root and offspring of David. This is a messianic title, and it goes back to Isaiah 11, verse 1. Now, Jesus talked about this in Matthew 22, 41-46, and he asked the Pharisees a question. I won't read it all now, but he's saying, basically, well, you know, if the Messiah is David's son, then how can David call him my Lord? Remember, my Lord is a term of deity. So how could a descendant of David also be God? And they couldn't answer him. And basically, when it says the root and the offspring, the root means the source. So Jesus existed before David, and the offspring of David represents that Jesus is a descendant of David. So it shows that Jesus is both the creator of King David and his descendant. John Corson puts it this way. Jesus says, I am both the root and offspring of David. David comes from me, and I am from him. 
How can this be? Well, as the babe of Bethlehem, Jesus was the offspring of David, but as the Christ of eternity, he existed before David. Now we come to verse 17. It's the ultimate invitation. The Spirit and the Bride say to all, Come. The Spirit and the Bride say to all, Come. So Revelation 22:17, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. John Corson says, the invitation to come is given to a world that is lost and dying, doomed and damned. It is a spirit who woos people to Jesus. But we, as the bride, have the privilege of issuing the invitation. End of quote. Remember what our main purpose is as believers. 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him... Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Another verse that describes our role and mission on this earth while we're here is Matthew 28, 18-20. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. So, are you inviting others to come? One statistic said that only 2% of Christians share their faith. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. If you are part of the church, then you are the bride. Are you inviting people into the kingdom of God? This invitation to come is all through Scripture. For example, Isaiah one eighteen, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Isaiah fifty five verse one, ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Matthew eleven twenty eight, come to me, all you who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Mark 10.14 Let the children come to me, don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to those who are like these children. John 1.39 Nathaniel, come and see. Now, back to verse 17 in Revelation 22, where it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. If you read in your Bible there, the word come twice has the exclamation mark after it. The invitation to come is an urgent command. Now why is it an urgent command? Well, the day will arrive when it's too late to come. Today is a day of grace. As it says elsewhere in the scriptures, today is the day of salvation. That's in Hebrews. The hour of judgment is impending. It's coming soon. Don't miss the rapture. Now, who can come? Well, it's him who hears can come to Jesus. But they can't come unless they hear. Him who thirsts can come to Jesus. But they can't come unless they feel their thirst. Whoever desires can come, but they can't come unless God works in their heart to desire him. So, how do you know if God has worked in your heart? Well, you can go through a little checklist. Have you heard? Are you thirsty for God and eternal life? Do you want him? Then come. Now, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Now, I really love this because it says, whoever desires. Whoever desires. 
This is an open invitation to freely receive salvation from Jesus. That's what it's talking about when it says the water of life. All are welcome. However, an invitation is both an opportunity and a responsibility. If we decline the invitation to partake of the water of life, to partake of God's gift of salvation, we can only blame ourselves. Jesus had made the way of salvation open to all men, but we must choose to walk in it. We can choose the highway to hell, the wide road, or the gateway to life, the narrow road. Matthew seven thirteen to 14 says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. Why is it so hard? Because you must repent. You must choose to confess and forsake all sin. Verse 17, it says, freely. This is an important concept. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So, another motive for reaching out to the lost and giving sacrificially to the kingdom of God is that what we receive ourselves, we receive freely or without cost. Therefore, we should freely share what we have freely received. And there's a fantastic quote from David Guzik talking about whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He says, This is an invitation so great that we can glory in it. Anyone who desires salvation in Jesus Christ can come to him and take the water of life freely. He continues, One might say, I don't understand all the Christian doctrine and theology. Come anyway! Because it doesn't say, Whoever understands, let him take the water of life freely. One might say, I can't repent the way I should. My heart is hard and I can't even weep over my sins or feel bad over them as I should. Come anyway, because it doesn't say, whoever feels, let him take the water of life freely. One might say, I don't know if I can live the Christian life the way I should. Come anyway, because it doesn't say, whoever can, let him take the water of life freely. One might say, I don't know if I am worthy to live the Christian life. Come anyway, because it doesn't say, Whoever is worthy, let him take the water of life freely. And he continues still, It is really this simple. Do you desire Jesus and his salvation? Then come. Can you say, Now Lord, I desire to be saved. Give me a new heart. I desire to give up my sins. I desire to be a Christian. I desire to believe and desire to obey. But I have no strength to do this. I have the desire. Give me the power. If this is your desire, then you are freely invited to come, if you are only willing. There is no barrier between you and Jesus except your stubborn will. End of quote. So, it's not about you understanding. It's not about whether you think your heart is hard or soft, how you feel. It's not a matter of how good or bad you are. It's not a matter if you think you're worthy. It's not a matter of if you understand doctrine. You just need to have the desire to repent and to believe. Now, the word take in verse 17 where it says, let him take the water of life freely, it means to receive, to accept, to take hold of to take possession of. So remember that all religion is man seeking to earn favour with God by some form of good works. But true Christianity, in contrast, is seeking relationship with man by freely giving himself as a payment for our sins. And this is clearly stated in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. 
and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. This is a fantastic way of finishing up the book of Revelation, where Jesus gives this beautiful, beautiful invitation. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Now, we're not quite finished. We've got another three or four more verses. So we're going to cover verses 18 and 19 now, and here we come to this severe warning. Do not mess with the word of God. So, Revelation 22, 18 and 19, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. It's very simple. Those who tamper with the word of God generally, but especially with the book of Revelation, will pay an exceedingly high price for their folly and pride. A Valvoid puts it well when he says, What a solemn warning this is to critics who have tampered with this book and other portions of scripture in arrogant self-confidence that they are equipped intellectually and spiritually to determine what is true and what is not true in the word of God. Now, James, in the book of James, comments on those who teach He gives us a warning. He says in James chapter 3 verse 1, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. A stricter judgment. And now we know just how strict this judgment will be for those who teach the word of God, who pervert or misrepresent God and the gospel of grace through false teaching. So he who adds or takes away God shall take away his part from the book of life. So, that's pretty serious. If you take that literally, it means you will lose your salvation. Now, the primary context of this verse is prophecy, and especially the book of Revelation. And unfortunately, many pastors... And Bible teachers often ignore or allegorize this book and prophecy in general. And one example of this, adding and taking from the Word of God, especially in prophecy, is the false teaching called replacement theology, which teaches that God has permanently rejected the nation of Israel because they rejected the Messiah. They teach erroneously that God has taken away or removed Israel from his prophetic plan and added the church in her place. This false teaching says that all God's unconditional covenant promises previously given to Israel are now transferred to the church. But this is not supported by the Bible. This is in direct contradiction to the many promises and statements that God makes that he will never, ever, ever, ever break his promises, his covenant promises with Israel. And I'm just going to give you one example. Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 37. It says, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. Now notice it says the day is coming. This is future. Verse 32. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. That's the first covenant he's talking about, the law. Though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. So yes, they did break the first covenant. They did reject the Messiah. But there's a new covenant that God will make with them. And it will be after those days. He says, I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbours, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone, from the least to the greatest, will know me already, says the Lord. And I will forgive their wickedness and I will 
never again remember their sins. So, notice all the I wills. These are unconditional promises. This is not like the law. This is the new covenant. And he continues in verse 35. It is the Lord who provides the sun to light the day and the moon and the stars to light the night and who stirs the sea into roaring waves. His name is the Lord of heaven's armies and this is what he says. I am as likely to reject my people Israel as I am to abolish the laws of nature. This is what the Lord says. Just as the heavens cannot be measured and the foundations of the earth cannot be explored, so I will not consider casting them away for the evil they have done. I, the Lord, have spoken. So not only will God not forget Israel, but he will establish the new covenant with them. This is still future. Again, notice all the I will statements. These are all unconditional promises that God is making with the nation of Israel. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never again remember their sins. And that last verse there in verse 37. So I will not consider casting them away for the evil they have done. So no matter how many times I rebel against God, God will not even consider casting them away. So, even this one passage is enough to rebut the replacement theology teaching about replacing Israel with the church. If you want more evidence, just go to Romans chapter 9, 10 and 11, which speak of Israel's restoration, Israel's national restoration as a people of God at the end of the tribulation. And this is the main purpose of the tribulation, for God to work with and purify and refine the nation of Israel. As a result, when Jesus comes back at the end of the seven years, Israel will once again say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you ask, what am I talking about? Well, let's read Luke chapter 13, verses 34 to 35. It says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This is Jesus talking. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That won't happen until Jesus comes back at his second coming. So, in summary, with this very drastic warning, everyone who teaches the Bible should take these verses from 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 15 to 17 to heart. It says, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. So, if you rightly divide the word of truth, using the Bible to interpret the Bible, taking prophecy literally and using the Bible to interpret the signs and symbols, then you will come to the right conclusion. Remember, always ask the Holy Spirit to help you. But shun these profane and idle babblings, these false teachings, because they will increase to more ungodliness and their message will spread like cancer. And yes, the prosperity gospel is spreading like cancer in these final days. Now we come to the final words, the final two verses in the book of Revelation. Verses 20 and 21. It says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So verse 20, Surely I am coming quickly. And this brings us back to one of the most important lessons that we learned from the book of Revelation. And that is, do you remember? To be ready and watchful. Remember 1 John chapter 3, verse 3? And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. So remember that. If we're living in expectation of, 
of his soon return, we will not want to be found doing something that we'll be ashamed of. And then in verse 20 it says, Even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, come Lord Jesus is the Aramaic expression that was well known in the ancient church and that is pronounced as Maranatha or Maranatha. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Now, I just want to point out that after describing many prophetic events through the book of Revelation, you know, through the whole tribulation and all that, and the millennial reign and the great white throne judgment, the focus again comes back to the church in verse 16 and the rapture in verse 20. As a church and individually, we should be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, Titus 2.13. Remember what we learned last week, that according to the scriptures, this is our main source of hope. And that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. It's from the book of Romans. Now verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The book and the Bible closes by reminding us of the main theme of the entire Bible, which is grace. God's undeserved and unmerited favour in his dealing with a sinful, fallen, unworthy and undeserving mankind. There is grace for who? There is grace for all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. How sweet God's grace is. There is nothing so beautiful as knowing that God loves me, even though I don't deserve to be loved. I am loved even though I am unworthy of his love. When I was weak and a sinner, Christ died for me. And you can see Romans 5, verses 6 and 8 for that. And the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. And I just want to point out something that helps us to see the difference between the Old and New Covenants. The Old Testament basically contains and summarizes the Old Covenant. And the New Testament basically summarizes and explains the New Covenant. As a result, the Old Testament finishes with a curse. It says, Lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Malachi 4.6 But, in contrast, the last words of the New Testament speak of grace because grace describes God's dealing with man on the basis of the new covenant. Now, to close, I would like to read Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, which beautifully summarizes the main points, the main application that we get from the book of Revelation. So listen carefully. Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. It says, For the grace of God has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness, and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. He gave his life to free us from every kind of sin, to cleanse us, and to make us his very own people, totally committed to doing good deeds. I'm going to read that one more time. It says, For the grace of God, the undeserved, unmerited favor of God toward us has been revealed, bringing salvation to all people. And we are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures. Remember, blessed are those who do the commandments. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God while we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ will be revealed that's the rapture be ready be waiting yeah anticipation of his soon return verse 14 he gave his life to free us from every kind of sin to cleanse us and to make us his very own people totally committed to doing good deeds so we are saved to be holy. 
to be God's very own people, cleansed, committed to doing good deeds, committed to following him and loving him. So one of the main applications we get from the book of Revelation, from the very start to the very end, is we need to repent, and once we've repented, we need to keep on repenting. We need to keep on changing, we need to keep on growing. We should live in this evil world with wisdom, righteousness and devotion to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ will be revealed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. Lord, they are scary words. Your words, your Bible is holy. And when we mess with it, when we take things out and when we add things to it, we are messing with the very words of God. We are messing with the words of eternal life. We are messing with the gospel. So Father, help us to remember to put you first in everything we do because we know that you are coming back soon. The signs are very clear. Famines, earthquakes, pestilences, disease, natural disasters, the love of many growing cold, and many other things are pointing to the soon return of Christ to take us up with himself at the rapture. And then the tribulation will start. Help us to be ready. And I pray that you will find faith when you come. In Jesus' name, Amen.